0: This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the MarTech Podcast, hosted by Ben Shapiro and brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. With episodes you can listen to in under 30 minutes, the MarTech Podcast shares stories from world-class marketers who use technology to generate growth and achieve business and career success, all on your lunch break. And if you dig around, you might just find a show by yours truly. Ben's a great host. Actually, I would tell you, check out a recent show on blending humans, AI, and automation. Download the MarTech podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. My guest today is Rich. Cohen. He is a New York Times bestselling author of numerous books, including Tough Jews, Monsters, The Chicago Cubs, and Pee Wees, just to name a few. He's a co-creator of the HBO series Vinyl and a contributing editor at Rolling Stone. We're going to talk about his new book today, The Adventures of Herbie Cohen, The World's Greatest Negotiator. So Rich,
1: welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me.
0: So, so you are a writer. Um, you've written, I, I, my intro didn't do justice. It would have taken a long time to <laughs> list all, all of your books and all of your contributions. This latest book about your father, he was probably best known as, as also an author of the how-to classic, You Can Negotiate Anything. Is that why you're a writer?
1: Probably. <laughs> I mean, the, the main thing, my father isn't really a writer. He's really a storyteller and yeah, kind yeah. of a philosopher and a business kind of guy. But storytelling it was always a big thing with him and in my family and sort of to keep everybody's attention. You had to tell basically a funny story. So I remember when I first got out of college, I got this job at the New Yorker almost by luck. And there was a story that the, the bio was that the writer is somebody who who thinks being funny is more important than anything, even warm human relationships. And I realized there's a place for me.
0: (laughs) so, so, You've written about a lot of topics. Why Why now write about this topic?
1: Well, I always write about my father. Tough Jews starts with my father and his friends yeah. sitting around a diner in Beverly Hills talking about Jewish gangsters and peewees, which is my life as a youth hockey parent losing my mind. I started with a epigraph <laughs> from my father, which is from You Can Negotiate Anything, a big part of this new book, which is The Secret to Life is to Care, but Not That Much. So I think my father's philosophy and his general outlook is a big part of my life. And a couple of years ago, I was writing a story for Audible, Amazon, Mm -hmm. just something about him. And it felt so natural and so fun to write about him that I just thought this is what I should be doing. And this is probably what I should have been doing all along.
0: So as I read some of the stories, I mean, it was really as though you were there. But some of these stories were from the... Like the fifties and sixties, you were not there, probably in some of the war stories and things. How did you collect these stories in such detail?
1: Well, the stories about Bensonhurst and his gang, the Warriors and Larry yeah. King and Sandy Koufax and all those guys. Right. That was like my mythology. I grew up with that like instead of Bible stories. And there was always lessons <laughs> in them. And when I was a kid, Larry King had this incredible radio show on every night from midnight to five AM. And he would tell I would lie in bed at night and he would tell these stories. And huh. then I'd meet him and I'd ask him about him. That's how I got those stories. In the Army, a lot of the stories about my dad's time coaching basketball, right. and he actually saved the reporting because was he coached the league that consisted of guys who were Division one college basketball players who'd been drafted into the Army during the Korean War. And my father saved all the coverage from Stars and Strikes, mm-hmm. which had a lot of photos of these yeah. games. And yeah. it was, you know, very romantic to me to see it. but It was interesting when I looked at how my father was very successful coaching basketball, it's just the same exact way he conducted himself in negotiation, which is he always tried to sort of do something unusual, control the timing, you know, control the floor. It was interesting because you see this one through line that goes from the time he's 10, 11 years old in Brooklyn all the way till now.
0: So so, so were you a Dodgers fan then?
1: I was a Cubs fan. I grew up Ah. in Chicago. And it's okay. a very funny thing where my father playing sort of says he was a Dodgers fan. He grew up in Brooklyn. He was really a Yankees fan. Uh-huh. And he says, the reason he was a Yankees fan is the first game he ever went to the first in person was Babe Ruth day, which is when he was like 11 years old at Yankee stadium when Babe Ruth was dying of cancer. And, um, my father took me to my first game, which was Wrigley field, which he loved because he said he reminded him of Ebbets field yeah. was after the game where the Cubs had a big lead. And then, The Cincinnati Reds came back from behind and crushed him. He said, I want to tell you something. I'm being very serious right now. Don't be a Cubs fan. A Cubs (laughs) fan will have a bad life. Cubs fan will accept losing as the natural state of affairs in the world. Do yourself a a favor. He he
0: was a prophet,
1: in other words. (laughs) Yeah, but then they won in 2016. So it did happen finally. I just had to wait till I was 50 years old.
0: So what's your, (laughs) i have got to go down a rabbit hole here. What's your favorite baseball (laughs) book?
1: my favorite baseball book there's this book called i think the glory of their times you know that book I'm i don't On my know shelf because i know yeah, that yeah. i have it there's a lot of great i like the roger Kahn book the boys of summer i like all of i've got stuff. boys of
0: summer written down here cuz i <laughs> frankly i assumed that was going to be a this book Story. the
1: glory of their times is an oral history of guys that played early like yeah. in the dead ball era and their lives are so wild you know yeah. like they would k- jump a freight train to get the spring training and <laughs> <Right>. stuff and <laughs> That is a unique book.
0: Joe, are you familiar with Joe Posnanski? The the writer, yes. uh, Sports yeah. Illustrated, I think is his last gig, but he, he's he got a book called The Baseball 100, and he covers a lot of those guys, and they are some pretty neat stories.
1: But see, it's the Brooklyn stories of my dad. All of it seems like it, it was like Paul Bunyan stories. It happened right. in <laughs> such an exotic, different time. Yeah. yeah. When there was the big baseball team in Chicago was in, Rock, was in Rockford, I think, you know, where the first pro team, it's just interesting.
0: So so do you write for TV at at all or have you? I have. And the reason I uh, say that is because the book kind of reads like episodes of a sitcom. (laughs) I think it would make a great sitcom.
1: Originally, because my father has all these great stories. Yeah. And originally I just wanted to do it like 100 chapters, each one a separate scene. But then as I started to write them, I realized there was actually a bigger story, which is a story of his life. Yeah. But so I did see it originally episodically and kind of funny with his lessons, because right. my father, when he tells stories far, follows a very Aesop fables like structure, which is question, story, moral, you know? Yeah. So, but then I realized his life is the big story. So I always think of when I write, it's like, I don't know if you know, those Chuck Close paintings are all these made up of little tiny pictures. But when yeah. you step back, all the little pictures add up to one big picture. That's yeah. kind of what the effect I'm going for.
0: Your parents owned a business. Is that right? They were entrepreneurs well, as well? Well,
1: they owned my father's business. My, the business was my father with power negotiations. My, my father was the guy who sort of popularized win-win, I believe, which he had uh-huh. taken from game theory where he, he taught at the University of Michigan and he worked on game theory. And But my mother came up with the company logo, which was, I can't do it because I'm one person. But it's two people shaking hands with their thumbs like that. Yeah, yeah, so it was a little cheesy, but very effective. A little cheesy goes a long way in America. Yeah, it's yeah. good.
0: So, so who were some of his contemporaries then in that space? I, mean, well, I talking about Zig, I, Zig Ziglar or somebody and yeah. was in that space, right? Yeah.
1: But the, the people I remember, are the people who were around when, like, one of the yeah. things he did was he worked for the FBI. He trained their people, and he and he. Sorry, there's like I can just hear my kids just got home from school. There's a whole hubbub. <laughs> he trained their people and. There was a guy named Walt Cyrene and together they created the behavioral sciences unit because his whole thing was, he used to quote this thing from Arthur Miller, to understand the price, you have to understand the player. And if you're negotiating with somebody and you don't know what is valuable to them or what they're like, you can't really offer them something or pressure them with something that's valuable. Now he's really, as far as marketing goes, he's like, he always said to me that life is 90% marketing. Always said that to me. And he always said that. He'd rather have a piece of crap product with a genius to sell it than a masterpiece with an idiot selling it. (laughs) And that's something I always remember, you know, so, and he taught me little things. I think he taught like a little lesson he taught me, which I think is kind of like marketing and is I would turn papers in at school and I would say to the teacher always, and my father found this, I don't think this is very good. You're probably going to hate it, but here it is and I'd get a bad grade. And my father said, no, people are very suggestible. You say, I think this is great, it's a work of genius, you're gonna love it, and you get a good grade. So that's like <laughs> a little thing that he taught me that I live by all the time.
0: Hey, e-commerce brands, did you know there's an automated marketing platform that's 100% designed for your online business? It's called Drip. And it's got all the data insights, segmentation savvy, and email and SMS marketing tools you need to connect with customers on a human level. Make boatloads of sales and grow with gusto. Try Drip for 14 days, no credit card required, and start turning emails into earnings and SMS sends into cha-chings. Try Drip free for 14 days. Just go to go.drip.com slash duct tape marketing pod. That's go.drip.com slash duct tape marketing pod. So... (laughs) If somebody I mean because obviously the subtitle world's greatest negotiator hints at some business advice my audience is primarily business owners marketers so what would be your pitch to them of you know what's the business application because again it, this book is very entertaining it, it, the stories are great you're a great storyteller or reteller but what's the flat out business application in your mind
1: well my father really worked in the business world you know he started out at Sears he was in the executive mm-hmm. suite at Sears and he was an advisor mostly to Fortune 500 companies and trained their executives and negotiated their deals. And he has a philosophy of business, which is summed up by the secret to success is to care, but not that much. Approaching life as a game, remaining detached, not becoming fixated on a particular outcome, looking for a win-win deal, not because it makes you a better person. But as he would say, people will support something that they're part of creating. So you wanna bring people in and create solutions together. His whole training of me was about business. So like my grandfather on the other side, my grandpa, Ben Eisenstadt invented the sugar packet and then invented Sweet and Low, which is still a privately owned company that he created out of his diner in Brooklyn. And I saw the whole life of that business. So I feel like all of my books are in a way business books, all yeah. of them. So yeah. like, this is a new book. Like one of my more successful books has been was the fish that ate the whale about this guy, Samuel Zamuri, who took over United Fruit, started out as a fruit peddler. And I wrote a book about Chess Records, which was, you know, these are all guys that live kind of by the way my father believed, which is give the market something it doesn't know it wants, you know, fill a niche that you don't even know exists as uh, what Chess Records did, which is invented rock and roll is first you uh, invent the product and then you invent the market, you know, so. And I really saw it with sweet and low because you saw in the pharmaceutical industry, which is first invent the pharmaceutical and then figure out what you can possibly sell it to cure. And one of my favorite stories I always tell my kids is the history of Viagra because it's such a backwards way to come up with a product. But, you know, so I feel like I always kind of understood that about building a business and what happens mostly because I lived through that with my father and read all this stuff.
0: So if somebody were going to say, you know, there are there are many books on negotiation, this is uh, probably the, the most unique one, one of the more unique ones on negotiation. If if somebody were going to come to you and say, you know, list out five or six, you know, key negotiation lessons, what would those be from the book? From my book? Yeah.
1: Uh, okay. The first is approach every negotiation like it's a game. And the, the key is to care, but not that much. Second is don't. My father is always the worst person you negotiate for is yourself because mm-hmm. you care too much. Don't become emotionally involved. It's not personal. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Okay. Another is don't become fixated on a particular outcome. People have a single goal in mind and try to reach that goal, but things change and you might come out with something different or something better. Two is try to make your opponent part of the solution because people will support things that they create. You see that in Congress where you get these 50 to zero votes and the thing falls apart because half the people in power are against it and want it to fail. You have yeah. to want both sides to want it to succeed.
0: It's an interesting example to bring up though, because it feels like it doesn't really <laughs> matter anymore in that, you know, that maybe what people are fixated on is win lose rather than uh, win win.
1: Well, the thing, one thing that my father said is he was supposed to write a second book, and my mom would say, you've already missed a deadline. And he'd go, when, what happened? And she goes, nothing. And then he goes, then that really isn't a deadline. And that's like a big thing about his, which is he used to quote Jimmy Walker, who'd been the mayor of New York, like in the twenties, who said, as long as you get there before it's over, you're not late. You know, so basically this idea that there are these certain rules that are arbitrarily created. And one thing he said almost says, like a mathematical formula is, things that are the product of a negotiation are negotiable. So people get very intimidated by authority and they think they can't negotiate something. As he would say about the sticker price in Sears, it looks like it was put there by God. So you can't question it. When you realize it's just a few people in a room randomly selecting this price almost, you realize itself was was negotiated so you can negotiate it. And one of his key lessons I stupidly left out when I gave you my list was one of his big things is realizing that you have power when dealing with what seemed like more powerful people or institutions. And he always said, power is based on perception. If you think you got it, even if you don't got it. And that's the key to his whole thing, which is people have power. You can always make a move. There's always another decision to make. And like he said, as long as you get there before it's over, you're not late. <laughs> Some can still be salvaged and done. And he saw all that like, you know, a game.
0: So... I'm trying to, well, I guess I was going to ask you this. People ask me this. I write books too. People ask me this all the time. I wrote a book that had 366 separate stories. So, you know, the logical question always was, what's your favorite? Yours, I lose track of, what are you, 50, 60, how many? <laughs> 57, 58. What's, w- would you say there's one or two that are you, that really are your favorite stories that people, you've told them a hundred times and they, and people still want to come back to them?
1: Well, I have to. T- I'll tell you two very quickly. One okay. is, a famous story, which is the MAPO story, which Larry King claimed was when my father learned to negotiate, which is a kid that they went to school with, had gone to Arizona because he had tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. And the cousin was supposed to shut down the house, go to the school and get his records transferred for a school in Arizona. And my father said, you don't have to go to the school to the cousin. They were going to walk this kid. His name is MAPO. He said, "Uh, we will tell the school, save you a trip. And then my father said, I got a great idea of how to make some money and we can go to Coney Island and celebrate. Instead of saying Mappo's in Arizona, it would say Mapo's dead. <laughs> Collect money for his funeral wreath. And it was a whole long story. But ultimately, in the end, after a year, I just say that it ends up with a giant fiasco with a bunch of sitting there for the Gil Mermelstein, Mapo's real name, Memorial Award, the first winner of which is my father, Larry, and another guy. And Mappo comes back to school that day. And my father jumps up on stage and yells, go home, Mappo. You're dead. You're dead, Mappo. Go home. (laughs) And they sit with the principal and the principal says, you're suspended. You're expelled. You're done. And my father goes, hold on. You're being a little hasty here. Because he looked at it from his side. He said, you're right. What we did was horrible and we're expelled and we're done. But if you go through with this like you're planning to, we're not going to go to school anymore, but you're never going to work in New York City again. And he explained to him what would happen to him and why it wasn't in his interest to expel them from school. And that was when he was in eighth grade, my father. And Larry always said that was when he became a negotiator. And the other second story, I'm telling him very quick here is- No, that's good. One thing my father believes in is the difference between the what and the how, right? That's a big thing in his life, which is there's what you do or what you say and how you do or how you say it. We used to go to this terrible restaurant all the time in the town I grew up in. And finally I said, why do we go to the worst restaurant in town? He goes, because they always give us the booth. That's the difference between the what and the how. And when I was a kid, it, it, my father took me to buy my first used car and he wanted to show me how to negotiate. He created this big list of criteria of the car we should get. And the car he decided I should get was a Toyota Corolla with 70,000 miles or less on it. That's the car he thought I could afford and I should buy. It. So we looked and we finally found this car and I said, "This is it. This is the car." And he said, "No, no, I don't like this car." And I said, "What are you talking about? It meets all your criteria." And he goes, "Did you see all the writing? And on the car, on the driver's side, in cursive, it said Barry. And on the dri- and on the passenger side, it said Billy. And on the hood of the car, it said Chuck. That was like the name of the car itself." And I said, "So what? We'll have it repainted." And he said, "You're missing the point. A schmuck owned this car." And that was the what and the how.
0: <laughs> so, so you've mentioned Larry King a number of times and were they, did they go to school together? Is that where they met? They met something?
1: together. They, yeah. Larry's father died. Larry was like a, in my light, like an, an uncle almost. Yeah, Larry's yeah. father died when he was a kid he had a heart attack and Larry kind of grew up in my parents, my grandparents' house. And Larry and my father first met when they were nine, I think they both got in trouble at school. And they were signed to be crossing guards. And they were together. And my father said, Larry said, this is a terrible job. It's a waste of time. They don't need a crossing guard here. My father said, I disagree. This job has a lot of power and importance. This is like, if you think you got power, you got it. And they argued. And my father, to prove his point, took the stop sign that you held, went out and just stopped traffic for like five minutes. There was instantly a huge, giant traffic jam in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. Fights breaking out on the sidewalks, cars honking. And they said they had their sash ceremonially ripped off their jackets, but that's their meeting. And then they were, you know, they remained. Larry was a big part of my life. From I, I worked for his show. I used to work for his show it was, you know, very interesting.
0: I, I bring that up primarily uh, because it, I knew it would elicit a good story, but also to talk about the acknowledgement for Ellen Cohen, who never <laughs> <used> stand Larry. <laughs>
1: That's one of my, my father's problems with this book. He thought I should not have done it that way. <laughs> but the fact is, Larry's a big part of this book, and my mom would always say, I Can't stand Larry, because they they knew each other their whole lives since my mother was 18 years old. But when my father got around Larry, my father acted like he was 10 years old. <laughs> right. And my mom sort of felt like a third wheel. And this is even when she's like 60 years old.
0: Right, right, right. So and I
1: and by the way, it wasn't just her, I had the same experience. They, their favorite thing to do together was to go to a ba- – he liked to go to a baseball game like five hours before the game and watch <laughs> batting practice. So, And they would get p- passes and they get out on the field, which wasn't hard to do. There was nobody there, empty stadiums. And I was with them once and they saw a player that they really liked from the 50s. And they both got all giddy and ran off to talk to him. And batting practice was being thrown by Rick Sutcliffe, who played for the Cubs. Yeah. And Rick Sucked if I never don't know Rick, I mean, I knew him as a fan. And he comes up to me and he goes, Did your dad just ditch you because he had a chance to meet a celebrity? And I was like, Yeah, that's what happens when he gets around Larry. <laughs> but that's that was my mom's main problem with him. And also he'd always get into trouble with Larry. They'd go out and do stuff and get in all kinds of trouble. And yeah, it's, it's almost it's, like Ralph and uh, Ralph Cramden and Norton. Let's yeah, yeah. together.
0: It's funny how people do, you know, even like you said, at 60 revert to kind of their childhood uh, selves <laughs> when they, you know, get together with, you know, old high school friends and things. <laughs> Well, Rich, thanks so much for taking a moment to stop by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast and talk about uh, the adventures of Herbie Cohen. You want to tell people where they can connect with you? Obviously, the books are available uh, wherever you buy books. Well, you
1: can write me on social media. You can write me on Twitter, or I have a website that links up to an email for me, which is authorrichcohen.com. And the Twitter is, I think it's richcohen2003, because that's the year I peaked. And, <laughs> and uh, you can buy the book on Amazon. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Again, thanks for stopping by, and hopefully we'll run into you one of these days out there on the road.
1: I'll see you in Golden. Yeah, thanks, Rich. Get a course.
0: Hey, and one final thing before you go. You know how I talk about marketing strategy, strategy before tactics. Well, sometimes it can be hard to understand where you stand in that, what needs to be done with regard to creating a marketing strategy. So we created a free tool for you. It's called the Marketing